Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Robert Zirk. On today's show, we'll have coverage from the Winnipeg Foundation's annual celebration last Wednesday and learn more about its 2018 results, reconciliation grant announcements, and proposal for two projects to celebrate its upcoming centennial. We'll also speak with Ari Weinberg, Artistic and Managing Director of Winnipeg Jewish Theatre, to learn more about its upcoming production of Intimate Apparel, which has its preview on January 31st and opens February 2nd. Then RC360 Sonny Primolo brings us his conversation with Lila Goodspeed Everett about her involvement with the Winnipeg Art Gallery, the upcoming Inuit Arts Centre, and her past volunteer experiences. And we'll learn more about this year's Master Playwright Festival, Ibsen Fest, that's being held by the Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre. Executive producer Chuck McEwen will join us to tell us more about the playwright Henrik Ibsen and the productions that are taking place as part of the festival. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and... I'm in the studio solo today. Nolan is uh, is away on vacation, so hope you're having a safe and fun trip, Nolan, and uh, we look forward to, uh, to when you come back, tell us all about it. But for the time being, it's just me today, just you and I, and uh, we've got a fantastic show today. We've got lots of great stories on the show today. We're going to learn more about Winnipeg Jewish Theatre's upcoming production of Intimate Apparel, which is opening next week. We're also going to learn about Ibsen Fest, which is this year's Master Playwright Festival. That's also coming up on the horizon. We'll have Sonny Primolo's conversation with Lila Goodspeed Everett about the Winnipeg Art Gallery and the Inuit Arts Centre. So lots of great stories to cover today. And we're going to start things off by learning a little bit more about the Winnipeg Foundation's annual celebration, which, as we mentioned uh, on our previous show, took place last Wednesday. We'll have some highlights from the event for you, but first we're going to start things off, as we always do, with a song. And here is Sam Cooke with Having a Party right here on River City 360. Dancing to the music Played by the DJ On the radio The Cokes are in the icebox Popcorn's on the table Me and my baby We're out here on the floor So Mr. Mr. DJ Keep those records playing Cause I'm having such a good time Dancing with my baby Everybody's swinging Sally's doing that twist now If you take request I Got a few for you Play that one call I know Don't forget them mashed potatoes No other songs will do Let me tell you, Mr. Mr. DJ Keep those records playing Cause I'm having such a good time Dancing with my baby Having a party 
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today. As we mentioned on last week's program, the Winnipeg Foundation held its annual celebration last Wednesday at Neganen Center, which celebrated the Foundation's 2018 year. First, Elder Dave Corshane shared his wisdom and insights, emphasizing the importance of working together for the common good of humanity and the Earth, and that how we treat the Earth has a direct effect on our own well-being. You might recall that one year ago, the Winnipeg Foundation announced a $1 million commitment to support organizations or projects that advance reconciliation in the community, and at last week's event, the 20 recipients of the Foundation's reconciliation grants were announced. Winnipeg Foundation board member Patricia Mainville served as chair of the Reconciliation Grants Advisory Committee, and just prior to the announcement, she noted the top three priorities that helped inform the most successful applications. A commitment uh, to reconciliation and how applicants interpreted the calls to action and UNDRIP. The breadth of the project, how many people will be impacted by the project, as well as the diversity of those impacted. The longevity, the long-term impact of a proposed project. You can find a full list of the reconciliation grants on the Winnipeg Foundation's website at wpgfdn.org. Also at the event, the Foundation's board chair, Danita Brochi, also brought greetings on behalf of the board of directors, and Winnipeg Foundation donors, the Ross family, spoke about their story and their inspiration for supporting their cause, children, youth, and families, through the Treehouse Fund, which they established through the Foundation. You can watch a video sharing their story at the Winnipeg Foundation website as well. The Foundation CEO, Rick Frost, also spoke at the event, highlighting some of the Foundation's results that made 2018 a banner year. Because of our generous donors and with investment returns of about 7.5% in the last year, the Foundation was able to issue 5,000 grants, totaling more than $41 million in 2018. That's the most in our history, an increase of almost 10%, and obviously uh, having a huge impact in the community in so many different ways. Rick also took a moment to highlight another historic result for the Foundation and thank the Foundation's donors for their generosity. In 2018, your Community Foundation received 7,700 gifts, the most in one year in our 97-year history, so we're breaking a record there. And again, speaking to the, the basic tenet, I think, that it's not the size of the gift, but the giving that matters, people contributing back to their community. And we are very grateful to everyone who is supporting uh, the work of the foundation through supporting their family fund or the fund that is created for a cause that's dear to their heart. You've likely heard about the foundation's recent proposal to commemorate its centennial in 2021 by offering to work together with the city of Winnipeg on two infrastructure projects. Rick spoke about the first project, the renovation of the former library on William Avenue to create a community archives, and why the foundation sees its support as a fitting way to celebrate its 2021 centennial. The first library in our city was originally funded by a philanthropist, uh, Andrew Carnegie, when, and when it was decommissioned as a library, it became the home of the city archives. Now the building is in serious disrepair, and important archival materials are stored in a nondescript industrial building. Uh, for all the citizens of Winnipeg, it's critical that we preserve, embrace, and learn from the past. 
and, uh, and build a better future from that learning. And our board believes that by taking a learning center approach, a community archives could teach the social and indigenous history of our city, including those parts of the story that are not adequately captured in archival materials. And whereas the archives represent a monument to the past, the second project, a cycling and pedestrian bridge, looks toward the future, encouraging sustainable transportation and improving connections in our community. It's a bridge that joins two parks between McFadden Park on the one side of the river and Fort Rouge Park on the other. It will provide an addition, an important addition to the active transportation system in the city and it represents the idea of an endowment. Not just it's a gift from the past, but it's also a promise for the future. You can learn more about the Foundation's 2018 results, as well as about the Foundation's Centennial Projects proposal, which is titled A Legacy from the Past, A Promise to the Future, by visiting the Foundation's website at wpgfdn.org. Up next, we'll be speaking with Ari Weinberg, the Artistic and Managing Director of Winnipeg Jewish Theatre, to learn more about its season this year, which is called A Season of Passion, and the upcoming production of Intimate Apparel, which begins next week. But first, here's Cliff Richard with congratulations, right here on River City 360. Congratulations and celebrations when I tell everyone that you're in love with me. Congratulations and jubilations. I want the world to know I'm happy as can be. Who would believe that I could be happy and contented? I used to think that happiness hadn't been invented. But that was in the bad old days before I met you. When I let you walk into my heart Congratulations and celebrations When I tell everyone that you're in love with me Congratulations and jubilations I want the world to know I'm happy as can be Afraid that maybe you thought you were above me That I was only fooling myself to think you'd love me But then tonight you said you couldn't live without me That round about me you wanted to stay Congratulations and celebrations When I tell everyone that you're in love with me Congratulations and jubilations I want the world to know I'm happy as can be Congratulations and jubilations I want the world to know I'm happy as can be I want the world to know I'm happy as can be Well, 
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined via telephone by Ari Weinberg. He is the Artistic and Managing Director of Winnipeg Jewish Theatre. Ari, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Robert. Winnipeg Jewish Theatre's tagline is the Jewish experience, the human experience on stage. And I'm wondering if you can expand on that and about Winnipeg Jewish Theatre's artistic mandate. For sure. So I'm currently in my fourth season here at WJT. And one of the things I've been working on with with the board of directors as we every year start to, you know, talk about season planning and and, and start to curate what we're going to present on the stage. Uh, we just want to make sure that while we serve a specific community, the Jewish community, the art that we are presenting and the plays that we produce are always tackling things that extend beyond our community and that we're, we're making sure that we are engaging with theater goers and with the general Winnipeg public and not necessarily just the Jewish community. Though we serve them and they're always in the back of our mind, we want to make sure that we're, we're serving as many people as we can because it's art and we want to make an impact. So we look for shows that, you know, have social significance, that are socially relevant, and that really feel sort of modern and current and are tackling, you know, stories that we're seeing in the headlines. And so one of the things that, that I have found sort of in my time as an actor, as a director, and now as an arts administrator, is that oftentimes the more specific a piece of, of art is, the more general it usually resonates. And so while the shows on our stages tend to have Jewish narratives and explore Jewish themes and feature Jewish content and Jewish characters, the resounding impact of those work um, tend to be things that people from all different cultures and all different backgrounds uh, can relate to. So it's sort of really looking at, at things that we share just as human beings from a very particular lens and seeing how it resonates and ripples across larger communities. And this season's theme is called A Season of Passion. It started in the fall of 2018 with Becoming Dr. Ruth, and it resumes this year with two productions, one called Intimate Apparel that premieres January 31st, and the other called After Jerusalem, which will premiere in April. Tell me a little bit more about the theme. Why A Season of Passion, and what are some of the common attributes that link these shows together? So A Season of Passion sort of came to me every year when I'm picking plays. There's usually one that I use as, a, as the cornerstone for the rest of the season. And for this season, it was actually Intimate Apparel, which is running from January 31st uh, until February 10th. And it tells the story of a seamstress named Esther, who is African-American. The play is set in New York City in 1905. And it looks at her story as a single woman in a boarding home for women in New York City. And she makes undergarments for high-end society women and also for um, for prostitutes and women of all various social classes. And it's revealed throughout the play that she is engaged to be married to a man who's, who's going to be coming over from Barbados. And she's also, though, purchases fabric from a Romanian Jewish immigrant. And you realize throughout the play that they sort of have feelings for each other, but because of the time and their cultures, they can't necessarily be together. And so I was fascinated by the play. I saw it in Toronto about 10 years ago. It's one of the most beautiful plays I've ever read. And I kept going, what are the themes here? And romance is a big part of this play. And so as I started to look for other pieces to program around, 
intimate apparel. I think romance is sort of the key here to guiding the narrative of the rest of the season. And then after Jerusalem, the final show, which I'm directing this year, is a hilarious romantic comedy uh, by Canadian playwright Erin Bushkowski. And it's about a teacher from Regina, a single teacher from Regina who goes on a Christian pilgrimage to Israel. And while she is at the Wailing Wall, she ends up setting off the alarm she goes through the metal detector, and that sparks uh, an encounter with an Israeli soldier and leads to them having a torn week-long affair for her, her time in Israel. And uh, it's really funny, and he mistakes her for a famous movie actress. And she doesn't correct him to say, I'm just a just an elementary school teacher from Regina. And so they end up having this torrid affair, and it's all based on archetypes of relationships that we see in romantic comedies. And so finding those pieces, I read a lot of plays to sort of piece everything together, and romance and passion were sort of the things that became prominent as, as the themes to explore this year. What are you hoping audiences will take away from the plays that are part of this season? I hope that they will take away just some romance, uh, and various kinds of romance. There's deep yearning in, in intimate apparel, and there was a lot of frank talk about sex and intimacy in Becoming Dr. Ruth, but also some mourning and, and thinking about what it means to have a love of your life. And then there's sort of the silly side of romance in After Jerusalem. So I, I hope that people walk away thinking about their own love lives and their own romantic experiences and where is romance in their life. And if they're in a, in a long-term relationship, what's happened with the romance? Is it something that they need to rekindle? Is it still present? How do you think about, uh, about love? How do you think about intimacy and, and romance in your own life? Sounds like a fantastic lineup of shows coming up. Yeah, it's, it's very fun. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Becoming Dr. Ruth was, was a big hit for us, and, and we got great audience feedback. And so I, I'm hoping that that will carry us into Intimate Apparel, which again is, is a beautiful and, and, and truly passionate play. Lynn Nottage, who's the uh, playwright, has won uh, two Pulitzer Prizes for playwriting. And this story is actually based, it's based on the story of her grandmother who moved to, to New York and, and her life as a seamstress in New York at the turn of the century. And so uh, I hope people will come and, and see the deep passion and beauty of that play and then laugh a lot at the zany romantic antics in After Jerusalem. In 2018, the Winnipeg Foundation released its report on the charitable sector in Winnipeg called Stressed, Stretched, and Still Standing, and one of the conclusions that came up was related to the uncertainty of funding and how it can be difficult for an organization to plan ahead or even be as effective as it can be when it isn't clear from one year to the next where funding might come from. I'm wondering if you can speak to how that uncertainty surrounding funding affects arts organizations in Winnipeg and in Canada. One of the things sort of related to, to that report is this idea that audience members don't necessarily fully appreciate when they come to a theater like Winnipeg Jewish Theater and, and some smaller organizations, though I would say even from larger organizations at Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre, Prairie Theatre Exchange, pretty much any arts organization I can think of in this city, is I don't know that people always understand quite how spread out each individual is in their daily tasks. 
the arts and culture sector is full of passionate individuals who constantly punch above their weight and are always sort of willing to go above and beyond because their passion is so great for, for what we do for working in the arts. What that means is we're all probably doing more work than we should to get the work to the stage to produce the art that we produce. And so it's hard to plan when you are wearing all the hats. And it's also just hard to plan because, you know, um, only 25% of our budget is made up from ticket sales. And that's pretty standard for any arts organization that I know. The percentage of revenue that we make from the art that we produce is minimal to the revenue that we need to make from donations, from uh, sponsorships, from fundraising in, in, in a myriad of ways. I think that if you're working in the arts and culture sector, you're always on your toes and you're always sort of alert and, and waiting to respond because you're never quite sure how things are going to play out and where financially things are going to land. But it's also part of the excitement of working in the sector. And like I said, the people who do it are people who are dedicated and, and passionate about the work that they are doing. One of the ways in which the Winnipeg Foundation has been working to respond to some of the findings in the report is by piloting a multi-year community grants program. And Winnipeg Jewish Theatre is a recent recipient of one of the multi-year community grants. Tell us a little bit more about how the grant helped to build capacity at Winnipeg Jewish Theatre. For sure. Well, I should start by saying WJT is profoundly grateful to the Winnipeg Foundation, one, for rewarding us with the grant, but also just for recognizing this sort of stressful gap in the sector and realizing that organizations can be strapped and that part of our responsibility as artistic organizations, because we we feel we have a responsibility to provide art and culture to the city is that we want to grow and we want to keep expanding and we want to keep pushing boundaries and finding new ways to create art and to grow as artists and to grow as artistic organizations. For Winnipeg Jewish Theatre, what that meant was getting a second full-time individual into the office. So in my first three years at Winnipeg Jewish Theatre, the, the company grew by 40%. And that was a lot of hard work and a lot of effort and a lot of response from our community, uh, responding to some great relationship building that the organization undertook. But what it also meant was that in those three years, the organization that I was leading grew in a way where it was pretty much impossible for me to single-handedly maintain growing with the organization. And so we hired an assistant producer. His name is Sam McLean. We are thrilled to have him on board. And as assistant producer, he has been working with me to learn how to do contracting for artists and all creative members that we hire in the organization, um, how to assist with grant writing. And he's been helping me uh, plan next season. And he's taken on uh, three different outreach initiatives that we have for the current season. So by uh, having him here, it means that there are all kinds of administrative responsibilities that he is now starting to undertake that I don't have to perform anymore so that I can spend more time doing critical thinking about how to continue to grow the organization and to expand the art that we are producing. The other really fantastic thing that I, that I have to say that I think is great about this itself, it means that organizations can hire emerging arts administrators and make room for the next generation of people to come up. I I was really lucky. I received, when I lived in Ontario, a similar grant through the Metcalf Foundation to spend a year as 
assistant artistic director at a at a theater company in Toronto and 11 months into that year-long placement I ended up getting hired by Winnipeg Jewish Theater to be the artistic and managing director and so having these grants means that there are more individuals in this city gaining experience in this sector to then go on and continue to be arts leaders and that is something that this city needs is to start cultivating the next generation of arts leaders. Absolutely. And that's an important perspective as well. The fact that the skills that someone is able to build by working with an organization, those skills help the organization now, but also provide a really solid framework for future leadership. Yes. Well, and because now, now that WJT has an assistant producer, the goal becomes we're not going back. You know, which is which is part of the beauty of the capacity grant and having that assured longevity of funding for three years, which is sort of unheard of. It is three years to go. We have this position, and what are we doing? How are we growing the organization to make sure that we don't regress? Because at the end of the three years, we are going to continue to have an assistant producer, and that's not up for debate. That is the new makeup of WJT. Intimate Apparel premieres in a week from now, with the preview happening Thursday, January 31st, and the official premiere on Saturday, February 2nd, running through February 10th. If any of our listeners would like to purchase tickets to the show or learn more about the show or Winnipeg Jewish Theatre, how can they do so? So we actually have a a brand new website. It's new for this season, and and you can visit it at www.wjt.ca, or you can call our box office at 204-477-7478. Both Intimate Apparel and After Jerusalem are two terrific shows, and they feature some really extraordinary local Winnipeg talent. And so uh, if you've never been to Winnipeg Jewish Theatre before, either one of those shows are a great way to come and check out the work that we're doing and see some terrific theatre on stage. I've been speaking with Ari Weinberg, Artistic and Managing Director of Winnipeg Jewish Theatre. Ari, thank you again so much for speaking with me today. Thank you so much for, for having me. You're listening to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today. This Sunday, McKinnon's Why Not Anti-Poverty Program's Inner City UFW Karate Dojo is hosting the Why Not Provincial Karate Tournament. That's happening again this Sunday, January 27th at the UFW's RecPlex Community Gym from 1pm to 5pm. The tournament is sponsored by Karate Manitoba, and spectators are welcome, so if you're interested in learning more, you can call 204-294-7738. Again, the number is 204-294-7738. Up next on River City 360, our very own Sonny Primolo visited a special event held at the Winnipeg Art Gallery a couple of weeks ago as part of the Winnipeg Foundation's Youth in Philanthropy Initiative. And while he was there, he spoke with Lila Goodspeed Everett to learn more about her involvement with the Winnipeg Art Gallery and about the Inuit Arts Centre that's under construction. We'll have his conversation coming up, but first here is Connie Francis with You're My Everything, right here on River City 360. You're my only dream 
Thank you for listening to River City 360. I'm Sunny Promolo, and with me in the studio today is Lila Goodspeed Everett. And if you didn't know already, she is a community leader who has made quite the impact in our city and beyond. Thank you, Lila, and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. If we could, I'd like to start with your experience at the Winnipeg Art Gallery. Uh, why did you want to get involved with the arts and the gallery itself? Well, I have to say, I was invited to come on to the board of the Associates, which is a whole volunteer committee, which is the backbone of the art gallery in terms of supporting all kinds of endeavors. And I'd say I was asked. And I think that's the main thing in recruiting volunteers and inviting people to join into any projects. Just ask. Based on that experience, you uh, received the Lieutenant Governor's Vice Regal Volunteer Award for your service at the Winnipeg Art Gallery, which has spanned over 16 years now? Yes, over that. What did it mean for you to know that you had so much support from your colleagues? Well, I was surprised. Often those things happen without your knowledge. And uh, so I was very privileged to be considered and actually to get the award. But it just showed the support that's always there at the art gallery with all of the volunteers that you work with. And, of course, they recognize the other things in the community that are important. From the looks here, you've been quite busy uh, serving on the executive of the WAG's uh, Board of Governors, director of the Gimli Festival Board, Nellie McClung Foundation, board member for Hope Task Force for the Health Sciences Center, the Junior League of Winnipeg Legacy Foundation, the Manitoba Theatre Center, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and Manitoba Cancer Care, just to name a few. Uh, What was it important for you to be involved in so many things? Well, I've had a long life to do it, for one thing. And uh, I had the good fortune to have time. And I remember once going to a session about women being engaged in all of the things that they are engaged in, be it family and employment and community, and just how you can manage it better. And so we looked at kind of a schedule like a clock and blocked off time 
that you would commit to these various areas of your life. First of all, you decided what was important. And it was really helpful because then every year when I'm looking at how I'm going to commit my time, I would look at this scale and determine what amount of time I could afford to put into each of the areas. But what was important by doing it is that there was always a space to give to the community and to give back. And so I was able to do it. And I think consciously by doing that, you make time for it and you know your priorities. Absolutely. It's, it really is about prioritizing your time because a lot of people will say, oh, I don't have time for this. I don't have mm-hmm. time for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But really, it is about finding that priority in your life. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And what made it special for you to be involved in that type of uh, philanthropic community? Oh, the people you meet is amazing. The things you learn, I mean, yes, you go to university and you learn all kinds of things that prepare you for a career, which I was also working outside the home after my children were in school, in a very serious and important careers. But it was another kind of learning. It was that incidental learning. It was the happenstance. It was the people that you met. And then the friendships that developed that you wouldn't have gotten just in the normal uh, workspace, etc. So you had your friends at work and you had your friends in all of the volunteer commitments. So it was very rich. Your work in the community has been amazing, and I'm glad to see that your efforts have been recognized. I mentioned earlier the Vice Regal Award, uh, but you've also been the recipient of the Golden Jubilee Award, the YMCA, YWCA Woman of Distinction Award, the National Flair Magazine Volunteer Award for Community and Leadership, and most recently, you're being recognized by our youth. As a founder of Manitoba Alive, a leadership initiative in voluntary efforts for youth, why do you feel it's important to have a focus on our youth? Oh, my heavens, they're our future. And every time I meet with young people, I just know that we're in good hands because the ones that are involved in these endeavors, such as leadership and Manitoba Live and and the Yippers here at the Winnipeg Foundation, they're just good people, and they're using their instincts to make a difference for others. And they're learning all kinds of things that they take back into the community. And they're really ambassadors for us, speaking out about what they've done and what they're doing and sharing these experiences with others so others get involved and want to do it too. Yeah, just last week we actually had some yippers on our show and it is really promising to see these youth just being so involved with the community, it really is. They are amazing, aren't they? As I always say, they're just the gold of the earth, these volunteers. And the fact that they're going out there meeting people in all of these different community groups that have special needs, that makes a real difference. And you can make good decisions when you know exactly what's happening on the ground. And that's what they do. So you played a large part in the YIP meeting with the mayor at the Winnipeg Art Gallery that recently took place. Uh, What made you want to get involved with the YIP program and how did you learn about it? Well, I have the privilege of being the co-chair of the community campaign for the Winnipeg Art Gallery's new Inuit Art Centre that's being built, Ah. which is very exciting for the city. And the position of the community chair is to reach out to the community, involve as many people as possible, Mm. friend build, friend raise, get people to become aware of us, bring them in the doors. And the art gallery is the oldest civic gallery in the country, and it belongs to all of us. And so I want to do things with groups to bring them into the gallery to understand about it and to know that it's their home too and to tell other people about it. So I thought with this youth group, 
in 30 different schools and such wonderful diversity, they would be telling about the Inuit Arts Centre. And of course, they'll have any opportunity they'd like to be there, to volunteer, to take part in any endeavours they wish. And that would be wonderful for us to have them around. Because the energy, you must have seen that too oh, or yeah. felt it, the energy in the art gallery that night, it was just palpable. It was so wonderful, wasn't it? Just oh, so exciting. It was great. I was a, one of the lucky few that... Uh, was able to go into the Inuit vault. Wonderful. Yeah, so uh, seeing the youth just kind of glow inside that vault, just seeing all of those artifacts, it's simply amazing. And to think we have it right here in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. and it's the largest collection in the world, wow. and it really, really is going to be a world site that people will be drawn to. And also, of course, it's going to help with reconciliation, building bridges between south and north, having a wonderful exchange with people from the north. And so there's lots and lots of outcomes that we can benefit from. Absolutely. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing that all next year. Yes, 2020. So (laughs) all kinds of good things happening in our 150th anniversary, isn't there? Oh, yes. How did it make you feel to see all the youth interacting in that environment there at the WAG? Well, they were just so engaged right away and so interested. And you just had this good feeling about the fact that here they are, a group of people, many of them had never been there before, so curious, so diligent about picking up as much as they could, and it just really warms your heart, and I just want other people to know how fabulous the youth are today in many, many ways. What does it mean to you and the philanthropic community to have these types of events, uh, and what would you like to see more of in the future? I'd like to see more cultural communities come to the art gallery because there's certainly a place for everybody and that way we would get to appreciate their culture and also to see some of their artistic things at the art gallery and so I think it's really important that we reach out and so I I hope this is a reach out to anybody who's listening know that you're welcome that you can come you can call me or you can call the director or anybody at the gallery and say you know gee we'd like to bring a group And so that's really what I'm looking for, groups who would like to come, learn more about us, and we would love to host them. We've got another group set up right now uh, for April with the Gimli Film Festival. And so we will have a very special night where we'll be featuring a film about the Inuit culture. And there's not a lot of films but it's a very good one, and we'll be able to enjoy that, plus, let's say, a short film about the Indigenous culture. And then people can go and see the exhibits around and enjoy the feel and the look and all of the good things about what we have exhibited. That sounds really yeah. amazing. So and there's so many more other groups. We're just building in opportunities to bring them to the gallery or to go out to speak to them. We have a speakers bureau, and we just want people to know about that. If if their group would like to have a speaker, we could bring a speaker to them, or we might do something at the art gallery as well. Interesting. So, again, for those that are interested in getting involved with that or learning more, what is the best way to reach you? You could always phone the gallery's main line and leave a message, and you could actually email me at the WAG. And my email there is lilawagcc at gmail.com, L-I-L-A-W-A-G-C-C at gmail.com. Excellent. Love to hear from you. 
And if you have any interest at all in volunteering or if you wish to just come for a visit or if you'd like to bring a group or whatever, love to hear from you. Absolutely. Thank so, you. Thank you again for uh, coming today on our show, Lila. Um, before we let you go, though, is there anything that you would like to add or share with us? Well, I was wanting to mention, as you know, that one of the areas that I always make sure I have time for is for human and women's rights. And so I'm very involved with the Nellie McClung Foundation. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's coming up on March the 8th, which is International Women's Day, is a speaker called Kimberly Proust. And she is a Winnipegger who is on the International Criminal Court in The Hague, an amazing woman who's done wonderful work and she's coming to Winnipeg and going to be doing a presentation at St. Mary's Academy that was the school that she went wow. to and that's on March 8th and people might want to look for that you could always phone St. Mary's about that and find out how to get a ticket awesome. so be lovely to have you there I just wanted to end by saying how grateful I am to be able to do the things I can. And because of the community emphasis in our city, there are many things we can get involved with and we're welcome to. And I think it's more important that people know about the happy things, the good news, and that's exactly what the Winnipeg Foundation does. You share in the giving, you train people, you give them opportunities, and then our community grows and gets better. And so it's so exciting to be a part of this. So thank you, thank you for letting me come and speak. I'm really pleased to be able to talk about the good things that are going on in our community. Yeah, that sounds great. So again, thank you, Lila Goodspeed Everett, for coming today on our show, River City 360. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks, Sonny. Did you know that the Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre has been hosting the Master Playwright Festival since 2001? Every year, various theatre companies stage performances based on the works of one playwright, and this year, the playwright is Henrik Ibsen, who is known as the father of realism. Up next, I'll be joined via telephone by Chuck McEwen, the executive producer of Ibsenfest, to learn more about what's in store for this year. But first, here is Frankie Valley with This Is Real, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I'm now joined via telephone by Chuck McEwen. He is the executive producer of Ibsen Fest, which is this year's Master Playwright Festival produced by Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre. Chuck, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. First of all, the Master Playwright Festival was started back in 2001, and I'm wondering if you can give us a little bit of background on the Master Playwright Festival. Why did RMTC start it, and who are some of the playwrights who have been featured in years past? Well, at the time, uh, Stephen Chipper, who's the artistic director here at Royal MTC, and Bertram Schneider, who was the producer of the Winnipeg Fringe Festival, were looking at ways to maybe uh, engage the community uh, at another time throughout the year in the festival format, which obviously, you know, people love the Fringe, and so we thought, why wouldn't another festival work in the middle of winter when people are sort of desperate to get out of the house after the holidays? And so when they're looking for concepts, they were thinking about uh, those playwrights master playwrights that are recognized in their field who don't get produced as often anymore because they're not contemporary. And they thought, why wouldn't we want to give the community a chance, artists and audiences, to have a chance to see a large number of works in a short period of time by a master playwright to sort of see how they you know, progressed over the course of their careers, how they may have changed their style, and give audiences to maybe see plays they've only heard about or maybe seen one play out of 20 or 30 plays the playwright might have been done. So that was sort of the initial idea. And like the Fringe from the very first year, it sort of caught on with the artists who thought, well, this sounds like a cool idea. We can do a show, have the festival publicity and marketing behind us, and hopefully draw some audiences from the other companies that are out seeing, uh, having their, their regular theater goers out seeing shows. And it's got to be a different theatrical experience when you're seeing all of these plays by the same playwright at once and you start to get a sense of the themes and ideas that a particular playwright had. There's sort of a different dimension to the theater-going experience when you are able to see multiple at once and synthesize that. Yeah, that's exactly what the point was. It was giving a chance for the artists, uh, students, theatergoers, a chance to really immerse themselves and, and learn a bit more about that playwright that they might just have heard about, uh, you know, a little bit over the course of their theatergoing lives. And so the very first uh, playwright was Samuel Beckett. And most of us know Waiting for Godot, and, and that's maybe the only play people know off the top of their heads. But, of course, Beckett was very influential uh, in his playwriting uh, for artists and for society. And so you got a chance to really see the wide range of his work over the course of two and a half weeks. And, and that model has sort of just kept going along with the enthusiasm of our community here in Winnipeg. Um, and so we've done Al- Edward Albee and Harold Pinter and uh, David Mamet and Eugene O'Neill. So we've done a wide range of playwrights over the last 19 years. And uh, some uh, obviously are are more well-known than others, and that's the whole point. Sometimes you've never seen any plays by the playwright, and it's a great opportunity to discover them. This year's festival is Ibsen Fest, and Ibsen is known as the father of realism. I'm wondering what, what you can tell us about Henrik Ibsen that would give our listeners an idea of what kind of plays he wrote about and the context of his career during his time. Well, you know, he was writing in the mid-1800s, late-1800s, around there. And then, you know, society was very strict back then. It was very segmented into, you know, your class 
and your role in society. And Ibsen was one of the first playwrights to really start challenging a lot of those ideas in the public forum through his plays about the roles of people in society, about the roles of women, family. Uh, and he did it through realism, which is probably at the time a little jarring because everything was a bit more you know, overly dramatic in that style back then. But by making it realism, the way people normally talk and interact on stage, that and dealing with subjects that people didn't feel at the time were appropriate subjects to be discussing in a public forum made him very controversial. And I think is why he's recognized as the father of realism and modern theaters, that he basically was reflecting society and the things that they were not doing properly or thinking about properly and making people question their ideas and their beliefs. And so with all of these works being from over a century ago, are the adaptations that will be presented as part of Ibsen Fest, are they relatively true to the originals or are there some productions that present the source material in, in different ways? It's a very good question. Most years is a combination. So this year we've got about eight or nine productions that will likely be relatively modern adaptations of the original play. So they'll be close to the original play. And then there's going to be another eight or nine that are modern adaptations, original productions of uh, his work or based on his work. So you're going to see a bit of both. Some are, some artists have decided to take his work, transpose it to today's society, have a little bit of freedom because the, there's no performance rights for his work because they're in the public domain. So it gives you a bit more freedom to maybe try and make it connect a bit more closely to today's topics. And so audiences will have a chance to see both. For example, you're going to have A Doll's House and then A Doll's House Part 2. You're going to have Ghosts and then Ghosts After Ibsen. You're going to have Hedda Gobbler and then you're going to have Hedda Reimagined. So there's going to be chances for the audience to sort of see a classical interpretation of a play and then a more modern, you know, artistic interpretation with today's sense of being and, and what's going on in society. RMTC is staging two plays as part of Ibsen Fest, A Doll's House and A Doll's House Part 2. Can you tell us a little bit about that story and what people can expect? You know, A Doll's House is one of Ibsen's most recognizable plays, and it really is dealing with family and the role of the wife and the mother in that family. And so people are really going to enjoy that production because I think that and Heather Gobbler are probably his two most well-renowned plays, um, as well as Ghosts. And so just seeing the Classical interpretation is going to be very, very exciting, I think, uh, at the Warehouse Theater. But A Doll's House Part Two is a new play written by Lucas Nath, and it's basically taking place 15 years after The Doll's House. So he's basically taken the characters in the story and created his idea of what would have happened to these characters 15 years later. And this is a more recent play. It's It's been running in, on Broadway, and I think it's received a lot of uh, accolades. So I think that is also an interesting idea because you take the elements of the original production of A Doll's House, you move those forward into modern times where he's writing it from our perspective, saying what would happen 15 years later. And so the, that, that creative freedom, I think, would be very interesting to see how the artist has interpreted Ibsen's characters in the future. And there's also a variety of uh, events that branch out into other media, but tie back with Ibsen Fest. So there's a film screening panel discussion and, uh, and even a radio broadcast as well, sort of an audio drama. Can you tell us a little bit about these additional events? For sure. Every year, the festival includes a few free events so that anybody can take in the, the festival, even if they don't have a lot of money to spend. And so 
this year we've got five free events. We have two lectures, uh, introducing Ibsen uh, and the a director's panel, where you can come and find out a bit more about the playwright and the productions by attending those two events, and they're free of charge. As you said, the Millennium Library is offering a free screening of a, of a Master Builder, uh, another classic play by Ibsen, and so that's a free event that people can enjoy. And then uh, there's a brand-new interpretation of Eolf, by Zone 41 Theater, a very well-recognized independent theater company here in Winnipeg, and they're basically doing a modern uh, adaptation of his play for free reading. And then, of course, the UMFM are doing a radio play version of John Gabriel Borkman, which is also kind of cool. That's very cool. So a lot of different ways, a lot of different interesting interpretations of, uh, of experiencing Ibsen's work. For sure. And uh, again, you know, Ibsen... He is really influential as you know the modern play, the the, the modern three act play, the beginning, the middle, and the end, the denouement. He's got realism on stage, real characters speaking the way real people speak, um, which I think you know we all assume that's just normal theater nowadays. But at the time, it was groundbreaking. So I think seeing how he's addressing certain issues, like one of his plays. Uh, an enemy of the people deals with a doctor bringing forward a concern about the drinking water. He feels the drinking water is being poisoned. And there's this pushback from the community, from the mayor, and for others saying, well, you can't do that. It's going to destroy the town. People are not going to come here and visit uh, as tourists anymore. And so we see that today in our concept of of environmental protection and and clean drinking water, clean air, things like that. So that's a very modern subject that he's trying to deal with back in his own time. So I think there's a lot of things that audience members can relate to in all of his plays, because there's a sort of larger-than-life questions that we all have about family and community. Absolutely. And that kind of ties in with my next question, which is, what are you hoping that audiences will take away from Ibsen Fest and from Ibsen's works? I'm hoping that they see that they're, as I said, just as relevant today in their general topics, their concerns about society and family, as the, as they were back then. And I think that hopefully will allow people to have a better appreciation as to how universal theater can be in general, so that if you're not a full-time theater-goer, hopefully it will open your eyes to the opportunity that some of these plays that might seem old or, or stodgy or what have you are still relevant today. And, and you know, artists can take the opportunity for these plays specifically because there's no performance rights. They have a bit more freedom to maybe make them a bit more modern, change the language a bit, maybe make the incidents a bit more topical about today's society. And so I think that will allow our audiences to maybe, you know, broaden their perspective of the value of some of these master playwrights work in today's context. And if any of our listeners would like to learn more about Ibsen Fest, uh, the productions that are part of Ibsen Fest this year, or if they'd like to purchase tickets, what's the best way for them to do so? Each individual company sells their tickets themselves, whether it's online or, or via email or what have you. But you can, if you want to see a bunch of plays, we sell a, fa- a festival pass for $90. And so that gets you a ticket into every paid event. So if you see about five or six shows, you've already covered the cost of the past, and then everything else after that is gravy. So there's, I think, 15 ticketed events this year. Uh, you can go to our festival website for all the information, which is royalmtc.ca slash mpf. And on there you'll have descriptions of all the plays, the lectures, the events, ticketing information, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. Excellent. So lots of productions to go see and, uh, you know, a really great way to experience 
some live theater that, as you mentioned, has some very universal themes. So again, the website, as Chuck mentioned, is royalmtc.ca slash mpf. I've been speaking with Chuck McEwen. He's the executive producer of Ibsen Fest, this year's Master Playwright Festival produced by Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre. Ibsen Fest is running from January 29th to February 17th, so be sure to check out some of the performances as part of the festival. Chuck, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today about Ibsen Fest. My pleasure, and I hope you have a great time. And that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in, and a big thank you to all of our guests for speaking with us today. If you'd like to hear more River City 360, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to the podcast, please visit our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360. Views and News from Around Winnipeg is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the show as well. If you'd like to request a song, suggest a topic for a future show, or just say hello, give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. That's our listener line. So again, the number to call is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching at WPGFDN on Twitter and searching the Winnipeg Foundation on Facebook as well. I'm Robert Zirk signing off for River City 360. On behalf of my co-host Nolan Bicknell, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's show and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend. Mm-hmm.